0: Today rounds out our Epiphany themes, the central themes of this great season of the Son of God's manifestation to the world. First, on the Feast of Epiphany, we were visited by those pagan wise men, uh, the first fruits of the gospel to the Gentiles. They came and worshipped the child Jesus and revealed him as God the King who will die to save mankind. Then, we learned of the young boy Jesus in the temple, who was revealed as the very wisdom of God. Then, at his baptism, the eternal Son of the Father on whom the Spirit rests. Today, in St. John's marvelous story of his first sign miracle, he is the Redeemer who shall save mankind from their sins and unite them to God in his glory. Our story begins today. In John's Gospel when he says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Immediately on the third day. That should stick out to us. We know Jesus was in the grave for three days. Maybe this is going to be a tragic story about death. But it's also a wedding story. And we know that he rose on the third day. So maybe it's a tragic story that ends in joy. On the third day there was a wedding. One of the great scriptural motifs describing God's relationship with his people is that of marriage. This motif goes back to the very beginning. The first man and woman. The two becoming one flesh. This motif of love and union which results in fruitfulness and the abundance of life. The prophets in the Hebrew scriptures often speak of God the husband and Israel, his bride. But this is A tragic and difficult story in the Old Testament because God's betrothal to Israel doesn't always work out so well. We read about how Israel played the harlot and forsook her husband. And yet how God remained faithful and forgave her again and again. Our story today at this wedding feast points also to this tragic cosmic wedding between God and mankind. And yet, it's going to have a good ending. The very next thing that John says is, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus' mom was there at the wedding. The one who bore him and nursed him, taught him, protected him, nurtured him into adulthood. She was there at this wedding. Right upon introducing this cosmic wedding story between God and man, the very most most important thing John feels like he needs to tell us, the next detail he wants to emphasize is that Jesus' mom is there. She is there. This woman, she was quite involved in her son's first miracle. We've already witnessed her central role, the role that God prepared for her. She received the angel's word. She was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit She conceived the eternal son in her womb. She carried him and bore him for nine months. She gave birth to him in the humble setting, nursed him at her breast. She comforted and held him. She put him to sleep at night. She was there also when these exotic maybe Persian priests presented their gifts to the child. She was there anxiously searching for him when he was lost as a 12-year-old boy finding him in the temple, chiding him, and him gently correcting her. She's here now at his very first miracle, the manifestation of his glory. Now the Apostle John is writing about her in his gospel many years after the event. And he is not referring to a woman that he did not know. He was with her at the foot of the cross, there comforting her. Joseph was long gone by then, her son was leaving her, and from now on, from the cross, her son proclaims her again, the woman, and gives to her, to John, who takes her into his house, cares for her, until that time that she is taken to be with her son in heaven. John knew Mary, he knew the mother of God very well. She lived and ate and conversed and grew older in his own home. John tells us the mother of Jesus was there at this wedding. The woman was at this cosmic wedding feast. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine. Okay, here's the tragic part of the story. And Father Patrick and I understand the tragedy of being Italian. When the wine runs out, it's a bad, bad scene There's no wine, and at a wedding no less. Here we see barren humanity without the fruit of joy. The meaning of life has run out. And there's no way for us to know and celebrate the fullness of life. You know, zombie shows are pretty popular these days. Every time you turn the TV on, there's another zombie episode. I think it's a perfect perfect description of mankind without wine. Mankind without wine... (laughs) true. It's basically a race of zombies. We're like walking dead. That's what we are without the wine of God. And then the mother of Jesus said to him, the mother of Jesus. I love reading that in the gospel. It just kind of pings your heart. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. This is the woman. Not the Eve of old who was beguiled by the serpent. This is the woman who studied the angel's message and trusted God with discernment. This is the woman God prepared from whom he would receive his humanity. She is the touch point between the created and uncreated. What is she doing here at this tragic wedding? Well, she's interceding on behalf of humanity who has no wine. She's bringing our need before her son, pleading with him on our behalf that he would deliver us. This is our mother, our intercessor, interceding with Christ on our behalf. Just as God prepared her to nurture, protect, and guide her son, he's given her as our mother to nurture, protect, and intercede on our behalf. Well, Jesus said to her, Woman, What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Woman. Same thing he called her from the cross. Not in disrespect, but in respect. Not only colloquially, but in a grander way, she is the woman, the new Eve. She is the mother of the living one, Jesus Christ. She is a type of the bride of God and of our mother, the church. She is an intercessor to the intercessor. But to her request, strangely, he says, no. It's not time to bring forth the blood of redemption. That's what he meant by his no. But she's not asking for that right now. She's not asking for the cross. She's asking rather for the symbol of blood that will inebriate humanity with the divine spirit. She asks that he glorify himself here now in miniature, in this moment as a sign of his future glory that will come when he does shed his blood upon the cross and fills that chalice for us to drink. John records no response from Jesus. No, okay, Mom, for you, I guess I'll go ahead and do it. But she is confident in her role as intercessor, and she is confident. In the love and the power of her son, who is her God. And the power of her confidence, it rings out in that next moment of silence. After saying no, there is silence, a pause. And in that silence, the woman, without much ado, simply speaks a command. That echoes throughout the ages down to us on this very day. This command, along with her fiat, which she spoke to the angel, these two things that she utters, these two words from the woman, they are the great secret of life. She said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Well, there were six water pots. These were for the Jewish purification rites. These six jars of water They represent for us the weak and insipid effects of the six-day covenant of the old order. The water cannot bring us eternal joy. They cannot bring the divine joy to this wedding. They cannot inebriate. All they can do is wash the external. Without Jesus even agreeing to his mother's request, she boldly tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there's some humor there. Jesus listens to his mother. And he tells the servants to do two things. First, he tells them, fill the water pots with water. And they did that. And importantly, they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they did that. And then we know the rest of the story. We know how Jesus transformed the water into wine. And that the later wine was better than the first. Which is to say the new covenant is better than the old. The old Adam, the old paradise, the old covenant, the old man of the old temple, the old Sabbath. All of it was a type and a shadow of the things to come which are revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. But for us today, the most important thing for us to learn from this gospel lesson. Is that we listen to Jesus' mother. I mean, he listened to her. we do well to listen to her as well. If you want to be inebriated with the new wine of the blood of Christ and the Spirit of God, then you need to obey the mother of God. To turn to her for help as an intercessor, to hear her command to these servants and to obey it. We are servants of God, just like they. And she tells us, like them in no uncertain terms, Whatever he says to you, do it. Just as she said to the angel, let it be to me according to thy word. Now we're really good. We're professionals, in fact, at muddying the waters with all kinds of psychobabble and rationalizations and theories in our life. Constantly confusing ourselves, turning ourselves in circles, trying to find our way trying to find meaning in life, trying to find what life is all about. But we need to realize that it was disobedience, plain and simple, that plunged man into darkness, that turned his wine into water, and it will be obedience that restores us to God. Eve was deceived by the disobedient one. She was deceived because of her disobedience, and she was disobedient because of her deception. Mary, the wise and obedient one, she is obedient because of her love, and she is wise because of her love. Our job is to be obedient. Nothing more, nothing less. Our obedience is our trust, our love for God. Our Blessed Mother tells us, do what He tells you. Now what did He tell them? He said to fill the jars with water. And then draw it out and show it to the master of the feast. Well, you are that jar. You are that vessel. You are a vessel that was originally made for honor. Made for wine. But the tragic, our own tragic story is that through sin and corruption, our vessel has returned to the dust. Our wine has been turned into water. And we are in this Terrible and difficult state. And yet, this tragedy turns good because God is powerful and merciful. And he's given us a way back. While we are frail, stone, clay jars with only water to offer. He commands us something today. He commands us to offer it. We are to fill our vessel to the brim with water. The water that we have as weak and as insipid as it is. We bring it to the master of the feast. We bring our offering to the church. We offer ourselves. We offer our repentance, our alms, our good deeds, our obedience. We even offer to him our brokenness. Even though what we have to offer is weak and imperfect and even impure, we must bring it and offer it, trusting that God will receive it in joy. God receives our repentance in joy. All of heaven rejoices when we offer him what little we have. We are his joy. And this is faith. Faith is knowing that you are loved. Not because you are lovely. But because he is love. And he receives our offering. And he transforms it into something glorious. This is our widow's might. Our little offering. All that we have to give. We bring it to God. To his church, the master of the feast, we bring it to the bishop and to his church. This sacrifice of ourselves, what small gift, we offer to God is transformed. It is made quite amazingly into the offering of our Savior himself upon the altar of the cross. And then he returns it to us. God takes our insipid water and he gives us back divine wine. He gives us back the very blood of Christ which inebriates our souls and unites us to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.